pray for us, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, it's special to have us all together this afternoon, and special to see some of us for the second time in one day, if you were here this afternoon. And all I can say is I hope you all like bike analogies, because... <laughs> I got hundreds of them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, through my years at uni, I had a friend, Dylan, and he lived in a lot of different places. Uh, he was one of those friends that it just felt like I was helping him move every six months. But it all panned out for Dylan because at one point he hit share house gold when he moved in with a bunch of guys into Lavender Bay on Sydney Harbour. I've put a photo up from the balcony at his place. This was the best place Dylan ever lived. The best thing about Dylan living here were New Year's Eve parties. They were very, very good because we had this clear vantage point from his balcony. We could look and see the whole night sky lit up with fireworks on New Year's Eve. Uh, Dylan moved out of the share house a year or two later and I stopped being his friend. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. He was actually the best man at my wedding, so that's a lie. Uh, It's felt to me, as we've gone through this series in Hebrews 13, that it's as if we've stood on on the balcony of Hebrews 13, that that has been our vantage point, and we've stood together and we've looked out and we've seen the whole Christian life lit up with glorifying worship, that every week we've just picked up one or two verses, but it's as if the author to the Hebrews has fired a rocket out into some part of the Christian life and shown us what does it look like to worship God acceptably in that area. And so this is our final week in Hebrews 13. So I thought we would just step back for a moment and again see the whole sky ablaze with this life of worship. Uh, We've looked at a lot of different things together. Does, Does anyone want to call out anything that they remember, any of the headlines, any of the bits that we've looked at from the from the series? Anyone? Contentment. What else? How else do we worship God acceptably with reverence and awe? A love for others. Yeah. Submitting, pray. That's this week. Oh, praise. I was going to say, that's spoilers. Prayers tonight. (laughs) So what was that, Sue? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, the professing worship of, of God. Praise, yeah. I think I've got the rest of them up on the screen as well. Cast your mind over those things. Remember what we've looked at together, what's in this life of worship that brings glory to Jesus. How is the author of Hebrews going to finish it? What, what is it going to be? What has he been holding till last? How would you finish it? What would you write there as the finish to this series? Well, have a look at verse 18 in your Bibles because it says, it says, pray for us. Pray for us. And then verse 19, in case we missed it, the author asks for prayer again. And then verse 20 and 21 is a prayer. So 18 and 19 is this prayer requested. And then 20 and 21 is a prayer modelled. And so what we're seeing is that praying for one another, 
as Christians, praying for one another is an act of worship that God accepts. And that's where the author lands this chapter for us. And so this afternoon, we're just going to look very closely at this prayer in verse 20 and 21. And I just want to draw our attention to four very simple things in this prayer. Uh, but I don't think there's any sort of proper way of starting without praying. So would you, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, uh, this is your world, this is your word, and we are your people. And so we ask, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to comprehend, hearts that are hungry for you, and give us hands that are ready to obey. We pray in Jesus' precious name, both for our delight and also for his glory. Amen. So the, the first thing I want us to see, to notice, is that the address matters. The address really matters. So just think for a moment, uh, how many different ways could you address God in prayer? There are so many different ways that we could address God in prayer. Lord and King, or Creator God, or God my rock, my high tower, my fortress. There are so many different ways we see in Scripture people address God. But here, it's God of peace. Of all the options available... Why this one, and why here? I don't think we need to guess too long if we keep reading. So if we keep reading, it says, "...who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ." These are God's credentials to be called the God of peace. That, that line we've just heard, that, that address, we're being reminded of what is on God's resume to deserve that title, God of peace. That God is powerful. That's what we're seeing. And so the blood there is alluding to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And eternal covenant there is reminding us that God always had a plan to rescue and save his people. And that it would always be through Jesus that he would do it. And so God is powerful. God is powerful to make eternal promises. He's powerful to send his son into the world as a man to suffer and then to die on the cross to reconcile sinful people with a holy God. He's powerful to do that. And yet there's more here for us. How else is his power displayed? God's power, it wasn't exhausted in those things. It wasn't exhausted by sending Jesus to us. It's not like his power levels came down because he demonstrates more power to us in that he brings Jesus back from the dead. And he demonstrates that his rescue plan that he always promised, it really worked. And that the curse of sin really had been overturned. That our enemy of death really did have its teeth kicked out. And that the unshakable kingdom of God really is breaking into the present age to show us what's ahead for every person that trusts in Jesus. And if that's not all, God then enthrones Jesus in heaven as Lord of all. So I don't know what's on your resume. I don't know what credentials you might have. But we see here that God has some serious credentials when it comes to demonstrating his power. He is immensely powerful. And we just need to let that be drawn to the front of our minds that when we pray, when you and I pray, we are praying to the same God who did all of those things. 
we don't pray to a delegate of God, or it's not like God has sort of since got old and so we pray to a grey-haired version of the God who did those things. We pray to God himself. That's who we pray to. Do we feel just the immensity of his power when we pray? Verse 20 is drawing us to do just that. But we can't forget, we can't miss where verse 20 takes us because that immensely powerful God, he is also our personal shepherd. The God who is eternally powerful draws in close to his people. We cannot miss that, that he is tender towards us, that he walks alongside us, that he speaks with us, that he protects us. He knows your name. He holds you in his arms. Just let that truth just land in our hearts, that God is immensely powerful and he is intimately personal at the same time. Immensely powerful, intimately personal, And so the address matters because it reminds us of who we're talking to when we pray. So why the God of peace when there could be so many other things? Well, what greater peace could there possibly be than to speak with that God whenever we pray, to have his ear that he would listen to us? And what what peace it's brought Christians all through the centuries to recall and to bring to mind who it is that they pray to. To bring this point home, I want you just to imagine that there's a kingdom that covers the whole earth and at the middle of that kingdom there's a royal palace and at the middle of that royal palace there's a throne and there's a king who sits on that throne and from that throne he governs that whole kingdom. There's no one in the kingdom that could ever presume to take the king's time. No one would dream of interrupting that king. But there is someone in the kingdom who can wake the king up for a drink of water at 2am. And that's his children. And that is our access to God. That's the sort of access that we have to God, that he is immensely powerful and he's intimately personal. So he is the God of peace. The address really matters. Second thing, point two, God is at the centre. God is at the centre. And so I want us here just to notice the request of the prayer, the content of the prayer, what is actually being asked for in this prayer. Have a look. It's that God would equip other Christians to do everything good for doing His will and that He may work in them what is pleasing to Him. I want to read that again. It's that God would equip other Christians to do everything good for doing His will and that he may work in them what is pleasing to him. That's the request. And so who is at the centre of the prayer? Who is at the centre? God is clearly at the centre of this prayer. We must say that. But the Christian is not passive. God is at the centre, but the Christian is not passive. I would be really curious if we as a whole church family, and I'm glad eight and ten or five uh, congregations are all here, if as a whole church family we had a way of cataloguing or listing every single prayer that we've prayed for each other over, say, the last year or so, and every prayer that we've asked from other people to pray for us, if we were to list all of those prayers out, would they look like verse 21? 
would the requests look recognisable to verse 21? I have been convicted that in a lot of my prayers uh, that I pray for you and prayers that I ask from you, that they often go not much further, if at all, than just asking for a change in, in just sort of personal circumstances and situations so that my life would be easier. I'd say it's a really common thing that I, I pray for you and that I ask you to pray for, that just really that my, my difficult circumstances or situations would change so my life would become easier. Here's, here's some examples. I, I hear about sleepless babies in the congregation, and so I pray that your baby would sleep better. <laughs> or I hear that you have health concerns, your body is failing, and so I just pray that your, your health would go back to normal. Or I hear that you're busy and stressed, and so I pray that you would be less busy and less stressed. <laughs> and to be really clear, I don't think verse 21 is, is, is calling me to pray anything less for you all, or for you for me. I think it's calling our prayers to grow up, to get bigger, to expand, and for God to be at the centre, that His will would be done for what pleases Him. I think God needs to be at the centre. And so for that reason, in my prayers, I want to pray all those same things for you. And I will still pray that your baby sleeps and that you get better and that you're, you're less stressed, but I want to pray that in the midst of those sleepless nights and in the very midst of your failing body and in the midst of all your stressful and anxious thoughts that God would enable you to worship Him, that you would please Him, that your life would look like that life of worship through your current circumstances rather than just sort of praying for this comfortable and, and cosy, safe, sort of just middle-class suburban existence that's easy as possible. God needs to be at the centre. I need to pray that we would live a life of worship. And what's, what is the life of worship? That's what we've looked at this whole term. So we can go back and look through those things. So I think that's how verse 21 is encouraging us to pray there, bigger prayers where God is at the centre. His will and His plans and His pleasure. Thirdly, I want us to notice the confidence in this prayer that the prayer will actually go and reach the Father. How, how is the author so confident that God will actually hear his prayer? How can he be confident? Have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing uh, right now? Like We hear a lot about what Jesus has done in the past, and that's clearly very important, but have you ever wondered about what is Jesus doing right now? One of the things the Bible tells us that Jesus is doing is that he is mediating our prayers, the prayers of his people, to the Father. So it's as if he gathers up his, our prayers in his hands and he takes them to the Father and delivers them. He's our mediator, he's our, he's our go-between. And that, that beautiful truth that is here in the prayer, and we see it expressed in three words, through Jesus Christ. You can see it written there, through Jesus Christ. We're being reminded that our prayers that they only ever make it to the Father because Jesus is our mediator, that we pray through Him. And so we rely on Jesus when we pray for each other. We must rely on Jesus. And it, it would just be total foolishness, wouldn't it, to think that we could approach God in any other way than through Jesus. And so we rely on Him. 
What, is that, what does that actually look like when we pray for one another? It looks like this, that we rely on Christ and not our clever words. We don't rely on our clever words. God is not impressed with long, fancy, theological words. He's impressed with Christ. And so we rely not on our clever words, but on Christ when we pray. He is our mediator. Secondly, we rely on Christ and not our strong feelings when we pray for each other. And so if you're praying and God just feels very distant to you, that does not threaten your prayer being heard. Or if you're praying and God feels very close, that doesn't mean He can hear you more clearly than He could before. Because we rely on Christ, not on the strength of our feeling as we pray. And thirdly, we rely on Christ and not our spiritual performance. And this is such good news. God does not mute our prayers if we miss church on Sunday. <laughs> he won't. And our good, good behaviour doesn't bring us most of the way to God and then Jesus just gives the last little bit. No, no, we rely on Jesus completely. We rely on Him. There is nothing left for us to chance with our words, nothing left to chance with our feelings and performance. There's no ifs and, and maybes, but we can be confident because Jesus is our mediator and we rely on Him. In the 17th century, Richard Sibbs, it's up on the screen, he expressed it like this. I just think this is such a beautiful way of landing this. He says, We go to God in the name of the one He loves, in whom His soul delights. We have a friend in heaven for us, who sits at the right hand of God. Be sure, therefore, in all of our petitions and request to take along our elder brother. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's particularly important for us this afternoon to be reminded that our confidence is in Jesus, because I realise it's quite possible for some of us, uh, as, as we hear about and look at this model of prayer in Hebrews, that it doesn't fill us with excitement about praying but it actually highlights that we feel like our prayers are really weak a lot of the time and can make us feel inadequate, possibly. can make us feel self-conscious about praying for others. And if that's you, that you feel like now there's this sort of bar in front of you that if you can't hit that in your prayers somehow, that you just shouldn't pray, we rely on Christ. We don't rely on any of those other things. And so can I just comfort you with two truths? The first thing that I want you to know is that God's Word doesn't change. And that is such a comfort because that means that for the rest of your life, Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 will be there. And you can look it up. And you can live in there with your prayers. And you can let it be this scaffold in which you learn to build your own prayers. And so you can borrow the words here. So take comfort that God's Word doesn't change. But I would also just say, don't be too anxious about the quality of your prayers. Don't be too anxious about the quality of your prayers. Just pray. Just pray. J.I. Packer, uh, he said this. There's another a slide for this. He says, God fixes our prayers on the way up. If He does not answer the prayer we made, He will answer the prayer we should have made, and that is all anyone needs to know. And so, don't be too anxious about the quality of your prayers. Just pray. Because even the most 
theologically accurate prayer still depends on Jesus taking it to the Father. He's our only confidence. So I hope that brings comfort to you if you've felt overwhelmed by any of this. So don't fret, just pray. And if you still feel insecure about your prayers after that, just pray about your prayers. Pray about your prayers. You have a friend in heaven. So let's recap. What have we seen? In this prayer, verse 20 to 21, we've seen that firstly the address really matters, the God of peace. We've seen that the request that God is at the center of the prayer. We've seen that Jesus' mediation is the confidence of the prayer. But the final thing that I want us to see is where this prayer ends. Where does it finish? Have a look. It ends with the forever glory of Jesus. The prayer ends with the forever, eternal glory of Jesus, that he would be admired and treasured and loved forever. Or if you're from 8am, maybe you're more familiar, world without end. You say you might have heard that phrase. And so in this prayer, we have to see that the glory of Jesus gets the final word. And as we come to the end of this series in Hebrews 13, we pray that in our lives, Jesus' glory would have the final word. And as we read our Bibles, we see that in our world, God's glory, Jesus' glory, will have the final word. And so how will we see the glory of Jesus in our lives before he returns? He may return at any point. But before then, how will we see the glory of Jesus in our lives? It's ordinary Christians, it's men and women like you and me, living lives of worship, where every different part of our life has been lit up by the glory of Jesus. That's what we've been seeing this term. And I know that this church family, at 8 and at 10 and at 5, we are hungry to see the glory of Jesus in our lives. I know that we are. And I know that we long to see more of the glory of Jesus in each other's lives and that our lives would look more and more like this life of worship from Hebrews 13. But I just wonder, what would it be like if we stayed so hungry to see the glory of Jesus in each other's lives? What would that look like if we as a church family were always just scanning for it, always hunting for it, looking for it in each other's lives? that we would look for it and that when we found it in each other's lives, that we would name it, delight in it, that we would encourage that person with it, that we would pray for more of it, because we are just so hungry to see the glory of Jesus in our lives. And so what could you pray? What could we possibly pray for one another to that end? We could pray that the God of peace whom through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, that he may equip us to do everything good for doing his will and that he may work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ for his glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.